0: So, yeah, actually, the reason I contacted you was so the whole purpose of the e-commerce club is that, you know, to provide some more information about students, about e-commerce in general, because at Laurier, actually, we have a sales club, we have a finance club, we have a supply chain club, but nothing with e-commerce, and we felt that we should be bridging that gap over there. Um, yeah. so, I, so I thought it'd be a good idea to join this club as well. Uh, one of my, okay. yeah, one of my peers is a president of the club, and I am the vice president of external events, so I guess my job is to reach out to people and experts in the industry and you're more more about that experience and expertise with the e cool
1: yeah awesome yeah it's um you know it definitely needs to be getting more of a voice these days for sure yeah. i think going back thinking back to when i went through school i remember so many people uh you know there there's a certain allure to like finance because it's it's you know you, you think oh you're working close with money you can make a lot of money but like you know it, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're good at what you do, you can do anything you want. And, and if you want to participate in this new digital world, it's a really fun place to be.
0: Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with you on that. So I was just looking a little bit at your LinkedIn, and uh, I noticed that you were also a, an MBA graduate at Laurier. So maybe you could walk us through a little bit about how your experience at Laurier and how it shaped your career. Oops. We're back. We're back. Oops. Oops. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Sorry for the internet problems again. No, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Now your yeah. fault. But um, so I was I was going to ask you, so, you know, I've, I I've was looking at your LinkedIn page and I noticed that you were an MBA graduate at Laurier. I think, yeah. you know, was it between 2015 and 2017? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. So I guess my first question would be regarding your experience at Laurier as an MBA graduate. How did it help you shape your career? And how was your experience just generally at, at the university like Laurier?
1: Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's an interesting question, right? I mean, so I, I would start with this. We we live in a weird sort of time in Canada where I, a lot of people actually don't know this stat. We have the most education, we are the most educated population in the world, which means that every degree produced in Canada is worth less here than it is yep. anywhere else in the world. It's yep. a very competitive education market. Um, if you go to other places, I, I, um, I had a company in Australia for a little bit um, and it was remarkable. Like I, people, you know, around my age, I would say probably half of them had a degree and half of them did college and became carpenters or became, you know, picked up a trade of some sort. So, um, whereas here, you know, pretty much everybody I know did
0: at least an undergrad, if not more. Um, Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't know if this is uh, frozen again. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it just got frozen. I think right now, can you still hear me? Or okay, I think we are back again.
1: Oops. I think we're back. <laughs> what did you last year?
0: Um, just I was actually I, I heard what you said that we are the one of the most educated countries in terms of uh, education. So. I read something similar as when you adjust it for a on a per capita basis, you have the highest level of bachelor degrees per capita yeah. in Canada. So, you know there's so much supply of graduates, so it kind of reduces the value of it, and so you need to really differentiate yourself apart from your degree because millions of people well, are coming out with degrees.
1: You know what? So, so I was just going to go into that by saying, you know, that's why I did the MBA. I think you know what what is more important and what you can really differentiate, like like. At the end of the day, yes, the education is great. I think an MBA helps you more later in your career when you're trying to move up the, the ladder. But I think in terms of starting your career, an MBA is, is, is marginally different than, a, than an undergrad in business. I don't mm-hmm. think it's, it's that different. Um, yeah, I think really the people that shine are the ones that not only get good grades, but really, and, and not only do you have nice extracurriculars, those are the two standard buckets that everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, they're the, but they're the people that find unique, oper- uh, unique work opportunities, whether that mm-hmm. be volunteering or actual work. Right. And I think it's just uh, part of it is that it demonstrates your ability to get creative with trying to find new and interesting ways to, you know, work. Like as opposed to there's nothing wrong with holding a, a regular summer job doing whatever. But if you can intern at a place or get to know somebody, bump into somebody, it'd be the type of person that's bumps into somebody at a Starbucks and hits up a conversation and creates an opportunity that those people in my experience are the ones that get the most remarkable opportunities. So when I look at the graduating cohort of my class, I mean, you know, some people absolutely went on to do some excellent things, but uh, it, was, it was hard for uh, other people in the class. And it was really more determined by the individual and what they uh, brought to the table in terms of their um it, it really wasn't so much their intelligence as much as it was their perseverance their desire to try to make opportunities as opposed to have them come to them and wait for them so those types of things really i think for for students looking at graduating into a tough job market those are the things that for people that are going to look for an opportunity or to try create an
0: opportunity or make relationships there's always going to be opportunity for those people yeah i definitely agree i mean even recently have a change of mind you know getting good grades is great but you need to really even differentiate yourself outside the classroom if it's not if it's not more important than in classroom it's at least equally important uh, because it really shapes you as an individual
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're going to learn more on the job anyway than you will in class. Like, I mean, it, it's a good primer. I, I would say, though, um, in terms of skills that that business students can really benefit from right now, it's technolo- mm-hmm. te- technological skills. Yeah. One of the things that's um, so I have like a sort of way of thinking about this, which is like, you know, in the 1980s, it was. Right you're going to have to learn how to type a hundred words a minute. That's going to be the, the standard right. for business people. Right. And then <laughs> in the nineties, it was sort of, you got to learn Microsoft word and Excel. And that's sort of carried out through the two uh, thousands and the 2010s. But I think tomorrow's business professional won't be able to get by without some pretty solid coding skills around, uh, you know, some, some sort of the, beyond just Excel, because we're dealing with data sets today that are so large that Excel can't handle it. And you need, some solid statistical understanding, sure, but more importantly, the, the skills with the technology to be able to do something
0: with it. So, mm, that's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah, I learned coding is a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really like pervaded in the, in the business and financial, anal, in the analyst um, sector as well. Uh, yeah, and it's cool because you can create a portfolio. Like you can, hmm. you can create a,
1: anybody can create a GitHub page and put together a portfolio of your work. So you don't have to. So instead of just putting your, you know, your LinkedIn on your resume, so people can check that out, you put your GitHub link down as well, and they can see yeah. it built. Um, you know, that's that's option available to anybody. So it's kind of, you know, kind of awesome. Uh, it's an awesome new world because that's another way you can differentiate yourself. You know, lots of software developers know
0: how to code. Uh, been very many business grads do. Exactly. That's a, that's a, that's the a thing, right? So uh, I was thinking that if someone want to take a D, uh, take a DIY approach to learn coding, what is the first software someone to start off with? Maybe just learn from well, YouTube or.
1: Yeah. Well, so it's a good question. I mean, I I've been coding now for uh, since about twenty twelve. Hmm. Uh, I started with Python, okay. and the reason. Like, I, I, I did, when I got into it, I didn't know what language to choose, so I chose the one that sounded the coolest, like a snake. <laughs> um, but looking back, it was the right choice because it, a lot of the languages today are really useful for software development purposes. You're trying to make an app or you're trying to make, you know, uh, some sort of product. But for business grads, the, the, the thing that is really important is, again, that sort of data analysis, data science-y kind of stuff. And Python is, is hands down the language for that. It's got the most mm-hmm. support for machine learning, AI ap- applications, but also just, just dealing with, with interesting and complex data structures. So um, I would start with Python. There's a couple of resources that you can check out. Data Camp is a really good place to start. Uh, if, you, if you like a more structured uh, approach, it's about 150 bucks a year. So it's, a, it's, mm-hmm. it's versus like university and whatever, it's so cheap. Um, and you get access to like tons of courses that way. I personally didn't like the structured approach because um, I found that while it was interesting and you're kind of doing a bottom up approach where it's like, oh, this is like, there is a, there is a little bit of like maybe a two month period where you just have to learn stuff. Yeah. But after that, you gotta start playing around with projects, building stuff that you find interesting and learning the, the, how to do it along the way. And Google has solutions to everything Sometimes it's really helpful to watch YouTube videos, sometimes it's helpful at Data Camp, but by far, like just go build stuff and then you know you'll learn
0: a lot of skills along the way. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You brought up you know the prevalence of data science today in the age of information today, right? So yeah, I also noticed that you were an analyst at Rogers before, so predictive modeling, statistic statistical analysis. So mm-hmm. did that kind of role give you an advantage or an edge when switching to an e-commerce, a pure e-commerce based role?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say it still has yet to, to give me an edge on that. It's not that it didn't, but I think the important way to tell that story is that I, I, I didn't, I got that role because I'm interested in, in statistics and and math and predictive analytics. And so it's sort of the way that I look at, look at the world is through sort of distributions and, and populations and, you know, statistical significance and things like that. So it sounded like an interesting role and, whether it be in a marketing role like I've had in the past Mm -hmm. or it be in that predictive, predictive analytics role, like I'm taking a statistical approach to whatever I do, because you can, you can, you know, that's a cool thing about the way that math maps onto the world is that you can use it for anything. It's the person that, that understands deeply enough to be able to look at some marketing problem over here about segmenting your, you know, your, your customer base. And yeah. say, hey, there's a there's a thing called the clustering algorithm you can use for that. And 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 that person's incredible, incredibly valuable because in the past, a lot of these types of like roles, marketing roles and so forth were so much more relationship driven. Right. Uh, now they're so much more analytical. And mm-hmm. in industries like mine, uh, you know, it's a race and people don't know where to start. Like you just mentioned, like how do you get started with code? Like industries, giant companies that you and I both know. Are, are are at the same stage where they've brought in the math PhD, but they don't know how to make the most use of them. And the math PhD doesn't know their industry. So yeah. there's a disconnect and nobody to connect them and and say, oh, hey, math person, here are our things that we really care about. And I know your tools, so I can t- ask you to do these things. That, that hasn't happened yet. So that's, again, why I think business students really benefit from a pretty deep statistical understanding some solid coding skills, nothing crazy. You don't have to be a, you know, you don't have to be a, a master's in mathematics or, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a software developer. You, ju- you, you, literally just need a couple years experience and, and, um, build a couple of cool things with some AI or something. And you'll, you'll understand it to a degree that puts you 80% ahead of, um, you know, the competition.
0: Yeah, that's actually interesting. So you said there's sometimes a disconnect between the employee and the firm because they don't have to leverage each other's advantages, and there's there's like a, a gap between both of them, right? So do you do you, you think sound that- like a
1: business student? Yeah,
0: yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. If I can't use the the jargon Uh, now, I'm going to use it. Yeah,
1: no, that's right. That's right. That's exactly it. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's a common problem, right? It's, again, if you're math, mathematically minded, these types of problems don't really compute because it's like, so the skills exist. The people who can build this stuff exist, but it's not it's not making its way into an industry for one reason or another. Why is that? And it's like, well, because the people in the industry that control all the dollars don't know how to spend them well. Mm-hmm. So you can, you see this in, in job descriptions where right. a company like, like Google knows how to hire a software developer. They don't ask for 16 languages in one year experience. They ask for you to know one language and basically show that you're an interesting person. And that's it. They'll, they'll interview you for for companies that don't know what they're doing they 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 ask hey what are our technologies okay we have 15 languages we got to learn we need somebody who knows all of that but we're not going to overpay for it so we need somebody who's basically a new grad and then they get mm-hmm. disappointed and, don't, and, and doubt the power of tech because they've got they haven't set it up right so um yeah like you see that across a lot of industries it's not just it's not just my industry you see that across a lot of industries and uh yeah, it's a powerful um, it's a powerful like insight to have in your pocket and skill to have in your pocket if you want to go into a traditional business role uh, and have some of those skills because like a lot of roles today can be automated if you know just a bit of coding as well so
0: yeah do you think that the disconnect is also part, partly attributable to AI and data mining being in, a, in its nascency so it's kind of a new kind of a new uh, concept and people don't really understand what they're doing here's the thing.
1: The math on this stuff isn't new. Okay. It, the, the math of AI has been around since the fifties. Okay. Um, yep. it's, it, it's, the, it's, it's the computer power. So it's the, the CPU, GPU power that we have today that, that has made it powerful. Yep. But the mathematical methods have been understood for a very long time. Um, we just haven't been able to fully capitalize on them because we haven't really had digital thing, like channels like we're here to talk about e-commerce and, and digital marketing to be able to collect giant insight sets and then analyze them so and deploy algorithms on them. So um, I, I do think though you're right, which is that in the, in the, the, everything's got a maturity curve. Yep. Um, you know, this is definitely at its infancy in terms of how the masses understand it. But we already see the biggest companies in history, you know Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Twitter, Netflix. These types of companies are are this is all they do. This is all yeah. they've done from their beginning. So it, it sort of it, it from my perspective, it looks like some of these sort of older industries are don't know that yeah. the Microsofts and Googles of the world are running forty years ahead of them, yeah. and they're not going to catch up because they don't even know they're, they're they're in a race. Yeah. So that's sort of what it appears like to me, but it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that the power of the technology, I think the opportunity for the student today who's, who wants to start a company potentially is understand these tools work in an industry for a few years and build a tool that serves that, that industry directly. Uh, Like it's the the opportunity, the the low hanging fruit is such that you don't need a 25 year career in software development to make a, a very profitable startup. And I mean, it's remarkable how, how much money agencies are charging firms uh, for, for the, uh, you know, their AI services and,
0: and basic programming. Yeah, that, okay, that's actually really insightful, for sure. Um, so then bringing, uh, like bringing back to the present, uh, what is your current role? And can you tell us a little bit more about Dare Foods Limited?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with Dare Foods, um, awesome company. Uh, in, in Canada, so they're in the food industry uh, for those who don't know. Um, in Canada, the, uh, the food industry is mostly filled with multinational corporations. So and they're, they're usually American, but not always. Some of them are European. Um, and what there is is a unique example. There's only a handful of them of a Canadian owned always has been Canadian owned food company. Um, it's been around for 126 years, 27 years now. Uh, So it's been around for a very long time. Uh, It's owned privately by by, uh, a local family here. Um, And that definitely creates some really interesting opportunities because um, uh, unlike a a shareholder held company uh, where you have quarterly results to hit, the the privately owned element of this uh, enables us to uh, basically, you know, make provisions for the long term. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting company from that perspective. Um, they, they sell some pretty, you know, mainstream products such as like Bear Paws cookies. They're pretty okay. popular in Canada. They have Breton crackers. They have Leslie Stowe uh, Flying Crisps, which are sort of in Whole Foods markets and things like that. Um, those are some of the main brands. They have some some pretty big brands in Quebec that are not as big out here in sort of English Canada. So they've done a really good job building that. Um, so that's been, you know. Uh, just it's been an excellent history for them. Uh, in terms of my role at Deer Foods, so um, I'm the associate e- e-commerce manager. Um, I'm, I'm the go-to person on e-commerce for the entire company. Um, I have I am the only person on the e-commerce side, but I have two counterparts that are on the digital marketing side and we work pretty closely together. Um, my main roles or my main objective is to identify the, the, the unfolding opportunities in the e-commerce channel, uh, in grocery, that uh, that we could better leverage to, to drive profits, especially around COVID, so.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so as you said, you switched, you were at, in a very statistical and mathematically based role at Rogers. So mm-hmm. what inspired you to venture into the e-commerce field and make a, such a different switch? Well, I think
1: the, the managers at the company kind of saw that I had this interest, as I said, no matter what role I'm in, I'm kind of thinking, thinking about things in a, in a statistical kind of way. I was in a less statistical role in a sense, because there was an innovation and innovation's tough because nobody's got a crystal ball and, and, and predictive math doesn't work so well on product launches. When, you know, a company like, or in, in my industry, you might launch a new product, maybe you know, a few every year, but you don't have enough sort of sample to make any kind of inferences about it. So anyways, I think everybody saw, hey, this guy's interested in technology. He's using interesting technologies to try to do things. Um, This digital channel is filled with things like algorithms and, uh, you know, technologies that um, not everybody is very comfortable with. Let's see what he can do on that desk. And so, You know, I didn't ask for the opportunity uh, uh, directly, but I did express passive interest in it and um, ended up coming my way. And I, and I took it because it was, uh, you know, it's also an exciting sort of time. I'm, I'm at basically the infancy within DARE on this channel and it's, um, I get to kind of shape it the way that I see fit. So there's a ton of autonomy, ton of leadership ability We're you know, we're going to be building a team soon. So it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome.
0: That's great. So, you know, I, you were also previously a brand manager at Dare Foods, Dare Foods mm-hmm. Limited. And so in your current role, I said you're the only person on the e-commerce team. So do you find a need to, you know, liaison with the brand management team as well, so that you both of you are on the same page?
1: Well, the thing about e-commerce is it actually touches every function of the company. It touches mm-hmm. finance, it touches supply chain, uh, marketing, yeah. certainly. Um, to begin this journey, I was working with marketing, like, all the time. I've been working with marketing all throughout 2020 to try to get this channel where it needs to be because, you know, one of the starting points for e-commerce is getting imagery, copy content, all that stuff sort of sorted out before you can really move on to the more statistical stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah I work with marketing on a daily basis for sure. And then, you know, supply chain is is interesting because it's a completely different customer than Walmart, Loblaws, blah, Sobies, those types of customers. So, um, it, it requires some special attention there. And then uh, from financial perspective, Amazon, Amazon in particular, and other e- e- e-commerce accounts are, are uh, present some unique challenges from financial perspective. Um, so we have to make sure we're managing that, too. So I absolutely like I'm I'm the manager of that uh, yeah. channel, but I interface with every function.
0: Well, that's great. So I guess one of my other questions would then be, so what advice would you give students who are trying to break into e-commerce and any skill sets they can acquire to give them an edge? I, I noticed you mentioned coding. Is there anything else which they can perhaps do?
1: Yeah, so, so here's the thing is that, yeah, you absolutely you know, it's, it's helpful to learn how to code, but it's more helpful to actually build things. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the major thing there. If, so give you a couple of, of example coding projects that I would find interesting on a resume would be web scraping. If you can build a web scraper that pulls pricing from Amazon or product images from Amazon and, and does it on some sort of interval like every day or so and stores it into a database, that's a very impressive project. Um, If you've done that and you've had no years, like you have to sort of put yourself in the shoes of the hiring manager. Um, You know, if you're hiring somebody with no experience in it, then you look for a demonstrated interest in it. And if somebody is part of an e-commerce club, it's great. Uh, But, but you always are going to value what they've done over, over what they've shown interest in. And so if you can uh, demonstrate that you've done something relevant to it, such as like a prep, like, I remember remember when I was interviewing for jobs before I ever got with Dare Foods. Like I, I was, um, I had done sort of a similar project on. I had done a, some some uh, scraping on some some language data for a industry for a consulting firm that I uh, interviewed with, and I brought them basically my output of it and a laptop so I could show them how it works and all the rest and. It was a clear, like, I I got the offer. Um, I didn't end up going with that company, but I got the offer for for that job. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, they said it was because of that kind of, not Mm -hmm. just a resume and a face, it's, hey, here's some, something that he's done in application of this job. Like, you may, you don't have to know exactly what the job specifically is. But even if you you know do a do a quick analysis like uh like if you if you put together sort of a review of one of your competitive one of the company's competitors like uh, i don't know like an example for for me would be if you go to like halo tops website and you do an analysis of their cookies to show what data they're collecting and where it's going and and what kind of uh, information they're likely uh, mining to try to figure out some insights about the their visitors and how that whole funnel works I'd be very impressed again. So, so these are all things that you can do when you have any spare time as a student that can that can actually distinguish you from people who have one to two years experience, but have just been showing up to work and doing what they're told. This is going above and beyond and demonstrating going above and beyond is what gives you, uh, what pushes you over that bar of those job applications that say minimum three years experience. That's how you get over it is you've, you've, you've not just done you know, like an analysis or something that, you know, is a bit like a school report, but you've done something where it's like, hey, if this was my business and it was my money and I'm trying to make money through, you know, uh, X company, whatever their business is, here's how I would approach it from a unique angle. Something that I don't think you're doing right now. I'm going to look at cookies of your competitors or, hey, I notice you're collecting uh, location information. I would, I would pull that in and, and see how can we associate that with X, Y, and Z, and you know, let me show you some technology that can do that. That that kind of thing where it's not just hey, here's a problem, but hey, here's a problem, and here's the technology for the solution, or here's a creative way of solving the problem. Those are the types of things where it's like, okay, we've got a, We've got somebody who um, is trying to get a start, may not have any experience, but has clearly shown that. Um, their their interest is there and their intelligence and everything that you um, you know kind of look for in somebody who wants to, who's ambitious wants to work hard and, and make some uh,
0: big 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 leaps in your organization those are the types of things I look for for sure mm-hmm. that's very interesting so just hypothetically speaking if just say a fresh graduate you know maybe he's 21 22 years old he's just finished a bachelor's degree say in business maybe and he's okay. he's interviewing for a well, just say a junior e-commerce, a, a junior e-commerce analyst role. Do you yep. think the employer would test the person more on his technical skill set or more on his soft skills? Or would it be a, no, a fair mix of know, both? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So definitely it's, yeah, I'm talking a lot about the technical skills and brushing over soft. I shouldn't be doing that. It, to be honest, it's, um, it's important to be able to communicate well. Um, but I don't think that it needs to be overthought. Like there are those roles out there, like, like hardcore sales roles with big contracts and you need to be a really good negotiator. But for most of day-to-day business, you, the the best skill you can develop is to take something that's really complicated and explain it really simply. If you can do that on whatever it is, even your story, when you tell your resume or, or if you're like I just mentioned, talking about a technology, if you can step back and say, and don't go into the the equation for a regression analysis, but step back and say, you know, like like, does the past predict the future? Do you think it does? If I've seen that there is a squirrel on that tree every day at eight a.m. and then I wake up, can I predict with some certainty that there's a squirrel? Right, you start to tell the story. Yeah they start to simplify it. You're not getting into the weeds that this is Python code and here's some iterate iterators uh, you're getting into, what are we trying to do from a high level? And that brings everybody in and more uh, opens them up for, for some of the details. So if you're in an interview or um, trying to basically like get a basic like analyst job or something like that, uh, it's important when you tell your story and when you talk about your interest in e-commerce, so you keep it high level um, and then you, have the knowledge to be able to go into depth on the things that the interview is interested in. So mm. th- th- there is a balance between soft and hard skills. I don't know if I, I answered that very directly, but uh, you, this idea that you can be just a technical person who doesn't talk yeah. to anybody and isn't uh, you yeah. know, sociable, that person won't, go, won't do very well. Um, in, in fact, I would say if you only have soft skills or hard skills, probably soft skills are gonna get you in the door more easily. Uh, however, I think if you, like, if you really want to make progress wherever you start, you, need, you absolutely need both. And um, I think that soft skills are easier to get to at, at like a, a satisfactory level at in terms of just the way you talk to people and, and you know, being personable. But, but beyond all of that, just being able to explain things very simply and, yeah. and explain what you need very simply. Once you get there, like there's sort of a passing grade there, but then the technical stuff, there's just levels to it and it just never stops. You can yeah. just keep finding new levels to it. And every new level you find is a new advantage that you have, not just versus your competitive set, you know, if you're trying to, say, get a promotion, but also in your industry, if your ultimate goal is to make your company successful, you know, these types of tools are things that, that, um, you know,
0: really enable you to, to make leaps, uh, over your competition. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's interesting because in the last 10 years or so, we have seen a huge, well, grow exponential growth in e-commerce. Um, it's yep. also been exacerbated, but in the pandemic and the situation we are in today. So yep. where do you really see the e-commerce, where do you really see the e-commerce industry in the next decade? Do you think it's highly saturated in North America right now, or do you think there's still room to grow? it's definitely not saturated and and the way that you can tell that is that people still go to
1: stores um you know it's it's important to kind of think about hey you know it like the occasions that people still do people still get like go out to the grocery store some people go to the grocery store and get them delivered into their car but still most people go into the grocery store uh for shopping malls or clothing like yeah definitely like it's, like those are industries where they've had more progression on e-commerce than than food um but is it saturated i don't think so it's not saturated until everybody buys 100 percent of their clothes online for instance um you know we're certainly not at the point where people are buying cars online i mean tesla is an example where you can do that but really most car companies that's not the case so you know like when is it going to reach its saturation point? It's a good question because it's really dependent on where the culture goes. If people get to the point where they realize, like, hey, I'd rather get some time back and do my shopping online on on Amazon or on Loblaws or whatever it is, um, or on Aritzia or whatever you're trying to buy, people would rather do that and have it show up at the door more and more and more, which is what I personally think is going to happen. Uh, then they'll be more choosy about where they go out to enjoy things. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, there was um, a big conversation like the nineties and, and, and well, especially in nineties and early two thousands where Walmart in particular was like wiping out small towns because right. a Walmart would come in, it would beat every small business on price and, and a whole downtown core would go out of business. And um now I think you're probably gonna see the opposite where we're gonna see these distribution centers of these giant companies um, you know, out in, in business parks and areas that nobody really drives through very often. And then the main areas that everybody actually goes out to are gonna be restaurants and uh, you know boutique grocery stores and places where you go for an experience. So if you think about all the places that you go where it's not, where you're not expecting experience. So I, I, I don't know, like an outlet mall, or like, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, like a grocery store honestly mm-hmm. comes to mind as well, or things where you're just exchanging money for, for like a very, you know, a, a, a utility that you need. Um, I think those are gonna go away and come online more and more and more. Um, you know, like if you need a coffee cup, do you really want to go down to like the Bay and, or, or something or, yeah. or to Costco and and search through that and spend an afternoon, kind of you know, checking that out, or would you rather just quickly scroll through some on Amazon or something and, and buy that? So, so over the next decade, and you're going to see more of that sort of pragmatism where it's like, if it's not something that I'm doing to enjoy, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go. Um, alternatively like if it's something where like a movie theater people are still always going to love to go out for movies uh, you know the netflix home theater idea yeah it's great there's still magic to going out to the movies a, a nice dinner a nice uh you know go out for like like even some fast food that's still going to be around absolutely but it's an interesting question as to whether or not skip the dishes and uber eats and some of these services are going to take that over um but 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 i think one of the things that is difficult to predict is which companies today currently don't have an experience in their store and are going to create one, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, like there, you could you could argue there's a bit of a experience if you go into like a Nike store where it's just Nike, everything. Um, Certainly if you go into like a Rolex store, that's an experience and they try to make it that way. Yeah. Um, I think what you might start to see is some of the lower cost items like a Nike versus a Rolex, right? Um, they're going to try to create an experience in store, and I think some of the ways that we're seeing that already is you can go online and buy whatever you want from Nike, but you can go into some of their their uh, their concept stores, and you can get you can go to like a machine, a three D printer that will three yeah. D print you out and you need yeah. a unique pair of sneakers, right? Um, those types of things will get people in the store because the challenge is when you like we see this in my business as well when you go online and you have a grocery list. Like People plan out their groceries way better yeah. than when they go into stores. They're way yeah. less impulsive. They, yeah. th- there's no impulse online. Yeah. And that, that changes the behavior patterns completely. You're not at the store and you and just staring at like a candy bar at the checkout. It doesn't happen. So, so how do you get that impulse back into people's lives? I think you have to get them out of their houses and get them just browsing kind of aimlessly and kind of see things that catch their eye. And that, that's really hard to simulate online. Uh, it can happen sort of through browsing on social media, but of course, you know, we all try to skip ads. There are ad blockers, there's issues with that. So um, it's an interesting question.
0: I love talking about this stuff. That's really interesting because you brought up the point, you know, if you're not going to the store, then there's lack of impulse purchases because there's so much more discipline when you're buying your groceries online. So you can already take advantage of the strategic product placement and get those get the higher margins on products, which. Grocery stores typically want you to buy, uh, but yeah, I think that for premium goods, you can really differentiate yourself through in-store service. But maybe for economy and utility goods, perhaps the online channel will continue to grow.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, and it'll it'll just it'll it'll level out somewhere. It, but it's still, I mean, this year it, it, in grocery, uh, depending on the category, it grew anywhere from one fifty to four hundred percent. Um, so, you know, like it's, it's going to grow, it's going to continue to grow. I think people have discovered the convenience of it, the people that hadn't used it before. Um, I think people are creating habits around it now, especially again, like, you know, typical research shows, for instance, that, that people hate grocery shopping. They, they hate the experience of it. There are some people that like it, but mostly people hate doing it. Um, and so it seems that sort of e-commerce has come in and, swooped in and made that easier on people and a lot of people really like it and so yeah we'll see where where it goes but i think it's really going to be depend dependent on what you sell it's going to be dependent on on how long the sales cycle is like the sales cycle for a pack of gum is nothing Um, yeah the the sales cycle for a house is a little longer so you know like are we going to get to the point where it's all virtual tours and you buy a house on the other side of the world or Uh, or is it going to be some sort of hybrid model, at least for, you know, the time coming, I think it's probably going to be a hybrid model, but the question then becomes, is it 80% e-commerce, 20%, you know, bricks and mortar? I don't know. I think the real question for this next decade is, is it is e-commerce going to overtake bricks and mortar in certain Mm -hmm. areas? And I think uh, in the next decade, I, I, I don't think it'll get there, but it might. It's hard to know. Mm -hmm. 10 years is a lot can happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, do you think that PR brick and mortar uh, businesses can still survive or will they become redundant or do you think they still need to have an online channel, even if it's just supplementing their offline channel?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, there, there's so much cost involved in a brick and mortar business, but Most of the cost in brick and mortar business is supply chain. So if we look at like a business model, like Amazon, they still have a ton of the costs that every other retailer does because they still have to build distribution centers that hold all the product. They Mm -hmm. still have to be able to ship all that product. There's a ton of cost in that stuff. Um, is it a more efficient model for sure? Um, for sure it is. It's a more efficient model though, mostly for the consumer. So, um, Again, so if we think about this through like a bit of a economics lens, you know, the perfectly efficient consumer is one that finds all the deals on all the products that they care about all the time. What a brick and mortar store does is it interrupts that efficiency and sort of you you might go into a store and not need hot sauce, uh, but it might be on deal and you won't ever discover it because you're not going down that aisle. Yeah. Whereas, you know. On on Amazon, there's no effort in walking down the aisle. There's you know you might just quickly check if there's a deal and and sort of maximize that. So um, I know that sort of doesn't really go back to your question of you know will brick and mortar survive? But I just I think anything that serves the the customer ultimately better, the consumer better, um, are going to win over time. And like I said, I think I think retail stores that that deliver a great experience are gonna yeah. survive just fine i think some of the uh the ones that don't and are kind of just everywhere like yeah. they're, they're gonna struggle a little bit for sure yeah but but like again it's so category dependent like you're you're gonna yeah. go to home depot to get building supplies or home hardware because like you don't want that shipped to
0: your door it doesn't even make sense the shipping's gonna be so expensive yeah no i definitely put you a little bit on the spot It was a really vague question i just like hearing different perspectives from different people about what where they think the e-commerce industry the broad about. questions are yeah. always the most fun yeah because you can really take it the way you want to i feel it gives yeah. you more direction and freedom so i like For to sure. ask open-ended questions typically cool but yeah i think honestly that's i guess one last question the small question would be what inspires you to be the best version of yourself in your personal life and in your professional life
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, I think one of the premises under that question is important, which is that you should, right. It's not clear today, like, like, you know, and, and and everybody's different obviously, and and everybody's got their own stuff going on, but, but, but broadly speaking, you know, if you don't try to do that, a lot of things you struggle recurringly with a lot of the same stuff. So, yeah. Um, to me, I guess it's a bit of a pragmatic thing where it's like, I just, I don't want to, the things that I struggle with today, I don't want to be constantly struggling with. I don't want them to be habits that I carry on for a decade or two. Mm -hmm. I I just don't want to be dealing with the same problems all the time. I want to, you know, break through a wall and then find new problems I have to deal with just to kind of keep it interesting. And to me, you have to push the bleeding edge of something in order to break through walls and find new levels. And, um, for me, it's mostly, it, it hasn't been, I think one of the things that uh, that is important to call out is it hasn't been grinding 100% of the time. That narrative yeah. is out there like crazy. It, that's not it. it. For me, what drives me is curiosity. I'm, I'm just so curious about sort of what could be that I try to map out sort of interesting ways to get to the edge of what we can do right now to try to Quickly see what can be next and 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 that's what keeps me engaged and interested and then you can get a, a bit obsessive over that but i think everybody's wiredly wired differently i like i get curious about things i know some people that are just workhorses and they just get fired up by um by working to make something as perfect as possible and school really rewards those people because you know rather than sort of following what you find just interesting and in, in doubling down on that, especially at the undergrad level, um, you know, where you might put less effort into this project and more into this, cause this is more interesting. Yeah. Um, those people just love dotting their T's and crossing their, er, sorry, crossing their T's and dotting their I's and, um, and everybody's wired different. So I think, I think everybody's got to find their way to get, to the next level and trying to pursue that, but but there's a big diversity in how people do that. Some people, like I said, workhorses, some people curious, some people just very interested in a certain set of, uh, of of ideas or subject matter. Some people just love the game. Some people love uh, uh, working with other people and winning together. It's sometimes it's a teamwork aspect that brings people together. So um, I think my answer in short would be whatever gives you that sort of sense in in your spirit so to speak that comes that makes you come alive a little bit just whatever that is kind of try to bring that about as often as possible and you'll have more
0: fun while you do whatever you do and you'll do better at it as well well that's really interesting yeah for sure um i guess on my end that's all the questions i have do you have any questions for me
1: uh, I, I don't have too many questions. I, I guess the only question that, that really came to mind was I, when I was at Laurier, I wish
0: there was an e-commerce club. When did you yeah. guys get started? So yeah, actually, so my friend, he actually founded the club. So he's the president of the club and this happened this semester. So I would say around September because that's when I applied for this role. Uh, mm-hmm. It was also during the pandemic, I guess it seemed really relevant. Um, mm-hmm. The only issue right now is that we don't really have that we have 0 in end-person meetings so it's hard to gain traction and followers right. on our social right. media handles but we're hoping it will bear fruits in the future I mean I know we'll be graduating soon but someone can take it forward and you know mm-hmm. change the future of this club as well but right now it's again in its, in its nascency but yeah again we just saw a gap there was no e-commerce club We were like there's a finance there's a sales club there's a supply chain club there's so many clubs but e-commerce is such a relevant industry today it's, it's not a niche industry everyone uses e-commerce in the personal mm-hmm. lives at work. And so we thought that why shouldn't we also have a club regarding e-commerce and build some awareness about that? Because a lot of people have shown interest in e-commerce roles. A lot Fair of our alumni do work at e-commerce roles. So it just seemed like a really interesting initiative. Personally, on my front, why I wanted to be part of this club is because I felt perhaps during the pandemic, I'm in my fourth year of university, I felt, mm-hmm. how can I further improve myself? You know, I'm going, through the, I'm going through the motions right now. I'm doing school, but everyone is doing school. What else can I do to differentiate myself and keep my mind active as well? That's one of the yep. reasons I want to take a, a more challenging position. I thought it would really help, not just mm-hmm. on my resume. That's maybe slightly superficial, but even personally yep. on how I, on how I see things. No, for sure, for sure, and that's that's awesome. So, what are your goals before you graduate with this with this club? Yeah, my goal is basically you know maybe to foster new leadership roles. You know, someone who can take the take it forward after we graduate. Maybe we might not give mm-hmm. able to give the same amount of time when you become an alumni of Laurier. laureate. Yeah. So we actually have a couple of people. We're trying to recruit more directors of the club as well, Try to Mm -hmm. examine and scan their leadership potential and what they want to do in the future. So right now, again, it's a little far to think about what's going to happen to this club in the future. But as of now, we're trying to make the best of it. Maybe try to help out people who are trying to create awareness that's that's the first uh, initiative mm-hmm. to create awareness and then see where it goes from there and
1: what what kind of uh stuff do you guys do uh to try to make that you know
0: awareness lead to something like uh, uh somebody joining so we have some social media handles on linkedin facebook instagram so we try to push mm-hmm. facts some some daily snippets we also try to give free giveaway prizes if someone tags a friend on on the comments, they can get a free Google Home Mini or a free Amazon gift card, something like that, yeah. just to keep it going. So it's been a little slow, but we are getting some traction. So hopefully, you know, it'll work out well.
1: It'd be interesting if you guys, uh, and this is just an idea that I came up with, it'd be cool mm-hmm. if you guys did uh, like a bit of an e-commerce. Again, like I just, I, I go back to this idea, this is absolutely where the, the puck is going, if you will, um, to, to challenge the business students in the club to, mm-hmm. to do like a, like a contest, again, it sounds like you have access to things that can get you some interesting prizes, uh, you know, put together contests where people can do a, like a, an e-commerce challenge or, or a hackathon a of some sort where, um, you know, basically you, you get a bunch of business students together. You say, hey, we're going to, you could call it Hack Amazon. Uh, you know, your goal is to use whatever means necessary to get this information. And basically, mm-hmm. you set up the challenge so that people who um, who can build a scraper are the ones that win. I mean, that kind of stuff would be really yeah. interesting. And then maybe do some some analysis on it. That kind of stuff, I, I, I mean, it, it's all about what, what your goal is with the club and what you want people who join the club to, to, to get out of it. Um, you know, if it were me, I would, I would try to make people le- like get make it a place where people can come to learn the skills that are going to really develop them into good e-commerce managers in the future. And like, geez, there's just no better time than when you're in school yeah. to start learning some of that stuff, putting some of these contests. Now, you need all of those. You know, I'd so be kind of interested but it sounds like you've got a great starting.
0: Oops, I think I just cut out. We're of, back. Or, We're good. We're good. Yeah, well, yeah, no. So I actually heard what you said about the, about you know having a group of business students trying to solve a problem which is actually relevant in today's world. You know, like data scraping, yep. building something of your own. So yep. we actually had something a similar idea to that. So maybe having a case competition where you get a bunch of students to cool. and maybe try to get a sponsorship package as well. So that's yep. one of our future goals as well. So that's something we aim to do. It's a little difficult during yep. the online world. It would have been ideal to do it pre-pandemic, but they're going to work with what we have and uh do the best given our resources
1: totally and and i think the case language is the right way to go about it like yeah. you know you, it can just be and here's the thing is it doesn't have to be a giant thing like it could even be like like to keep people engaged it could be tiny like two hours on a weekend like yeah. kind of weekly kind of things where you know, it's, it's little prizes, whatever budget you guys may or may not have, you just break it up into smaller increments and you run it consistently. And I think that's going to keep it top of mind for people. And that's going to also keep it interesting. Like, um, what I'll do is I will send you, uh, just via LinkedIn. I'll send you, um, my GitHub and you can, you can have a look at some of the stuff. We've got some of my projects up there. Um, but I, I still have actually quite a few to upload that are, that are local on my drive here, but I'll, I'll throw those up there so you can have a look. Um, but just some ideas of some of the things that we're building at, uh, at Dare and I'm working on uh, on the side as well. Um, so I'll send that to you. And, and, and again, like, I mean, if, if this is something that, you know, people find are, is very interesting, I mean, I think it'd be cool to just, um, even just, you know, for your development, of course, you could, you know, learn some of this, learn something small and then go teach it on a Sunday, you know what I mean, yeah. to, to other people. And then, I, I mean, you mentioned the resume thing, it's, it's not shallow, it's relevant for your stage of life right now. And uh, I think it's, a, it, it would look solid on that um, to say that you've actually taught the stuff. And again, you don't have to know everything there is to know. You just learn something small, you teach something small, rinse and repeat. I think that'll look great right when you, when you come to graduation.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also, thanks for sending the resources. It'll not only help me and the club, but also the surrounding community around us. So it'll be greatly helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No worries. No worries. I'm just gonna get that over to you right now. Um, Yeah. And then I'm trying to think of anything else I might be able to send you. Um, I can send you. Yeah. You know what? I'll I'll shoot you over a couple of decks as well. Just I made a silly amount of reading already as part of school, but um, you know recently, just two weeks ago, I attended a uh, a digital e-commerce summit that typically happens over here in Toronto and right. has some incredible speakers. they they anyway, they left us with uh, a Google Drive link. i'll I'll leave that with you as well if you want to do any reading on that. It's an interesting okay. sort of uh, you know tip of the spear stuff from our industry. Um, but as I mentioned before, it's not tip of the spear as far as the technology goes. A long way for the industry to catch up and learn, but I'll send that to you too um just trying to think if there's any other anything else i might be able to help you with but um but yeah anyways we'll, we'll keep in touch and yeah, you know it's sure. been, been a great call let me know if there's anything that you need from me and i'm happy to help
0: and you know we'll we'll go from there okay thank you so much thank you so much for giving, uh, like spending your time with me Yeah,
1: not at all. Not at all. Have a great Friday night and uh, good luck with uh, the rest of school. It's certainly a weird time to be doing school, I'm sure. Yeah, it Uh, is. It is. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, anyways, good luck with it. And and I'm sure it'll go well. and, uh, And let me know if you need any help with the club or otherwise. Okay. Thank you so much. No worries. Talk to you later. You too.